This is Neon White by Turnip. You gotta spend time with your parents. You gotta make the time. Everyone I know is on bad terms with their parents. They not only remember the bad times, they only remember the bad times, you know? They keep these long receipts. I mean, CVS-sized receipts of infractions which their parents committed against them from childhood to the present. Why? Rip it up, man! There's nothing on there. No coupon that you'll ever cash in. Let it go, so that when your parents die, you don't end up like Hamlet writing soliloquies and starting fights with your uncles because it literally took their dying for you to realize that your parents created you from nothing, and that's pretty cool. And you never even took an afternoon out to write them a letter. Wow, you cried when you were a baby. Boo-hoo. People are too precious about their childhoods anyway. It's over. So get over it, you know? The past is not real. If life goes as planned, you're gonna spend a lot more time with your parents as an adult than you did as a child. Take it from me, my childhood sucked. My parents were physical with each other, physical with me, doesn't matter. Threw it out, the past is not real. These days, my mom and I, we're like this. You can't see it, but I'm crossing my fingies. My mom is so funny, man. I didn't think so as a kid. I didn't think of her as someone who makes jokes or laughs at all. But I tell you, man, my mom is so funny. She likes her drink. And when she has her drink, she likes to talk about her boys, you know? And I don't mean my brother and I, no. <laughs> she likes to talk about the boys in her little shows that she likes. So funny, man. My mom is so funny. I never know whether she actually likes a show or if she just likes the boys in it, you know? Like, Mom, do you love Game of Thrones? Or do you love that Jon Snow has a black cape, you know? She loves a cape. She loves long hair, a sword, and some sandals. She loves, uh... Oh, what's his name? Uh, Aragorn from Harry Potter or whatever it was. I know it was Lord of the Rings. I'm being dismissive because I'm uncomfortable with the fact that my mother wants to fuck him. Oh, she's funny, man. Man, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I back to the future her. <laughs> I did. I went back to the future for her, or rather the past, her past, the 1980s. I think it's John Mulaney who has that joke that's like, you know, why do they call it back to the future if they go back to the past? <laughs> John Mulaney, man. I tell you, so funny. Even if the movie is about Marty McFly getting stuck in the past and trying to get back to the future so the name is obviously correct. And what's more, uh, if Marty McFly was a real person, then when he had gone back to the future, meaning the 1980s, he would have met me. Because that was approximately the time when I went back to the future, meaning my mother's past, and oh, man, I'm making a real mess of this story. I should have my mother tell it, man. She's so funny. She was a stand-up comedian, actually, back in the 80s when I first met her. Very unsuccessful. Her humor did not translate, you know? Every show was like a car crash. It was, it was like going to a vigil for a car crash, and at that vigil, there was a mass shooting. It's worse than that, because they didn't even have mass shootings back then, so people had no context for what they were experiencing. Or when was Waco? Or the UT Bell Tower shooting? I don't know. 
All I know is that I went back to the future, meaning the past, and I went to every one of my mother's comedy shows, which were like the UT Bell Tower shootings, but much worse attended. I was usually one of ten people there, always the only person laughing. I'd laugh loud until she made direct eye contact with me, and then afterwards, I would go sleep in the park. I didn't have a house, you know? A couple of times I tried to talk to her after the show, but I, I was so shy. And she had a boyfriend at the time who my dad tells me was a real jerk. This guy would fly in after the show was done, real moth of a man, drawn to the fragility which my mother glowed with in the afterbirth of the abortion that was her comedy. See, that's not my style, man. I'm a nice guy. I was happy just to look her in the eyes, you know? Have her look back in mine. I could tell that she liked me. I was a warm smile in a cold room. I was the only set of eyes that wasn't either glaring at her or undressing her, so she looked at me. And I could tell that she liked what she saw. Plus, I had my father's eyes, so it couldn't have been a turnoff or anything. So I pursued her. I hatched a little plan. I got my face seen around Hollywood. A couple of parties, nothing big. But I started getting offered walk-on roles. I had a bit part in Superman 3. I was actually the, the first actor to play Chuck Cunningham on Happy Days, the rarely seen older brother of Ron Howard's classic character. I wasn't emotionally there for it, nor was I physically there half the time. I took the gig so I could get off the street, but I spent most of my time in my trailer trying to get Henry Winkler addicted to inhalants, which was a separate prank I was playing throughout the 80s. When they finally wrote me off the show, it gave rise to the phrase Chuck Cunningham Syndrome, which describes a TV character who surreptitiously disappears from their own show. My big break came when I booked Willow. If you've seen the film, I played the character Eric Thaubert, who was uh, an old friend and mentor of Val Kilmer's Mad Mardigan. I knew that my mother would love the movie Willow. It has swords and sandals, <laughs> everything that she loved, and besides that, we watched it all the time when I was growing up. But prepared though I may have been, when it came out and I came to her show and she recognized me, I wasn't ready. She came right up to me and said, Eric! And I swear, I almost said, Mama! Luckily, I didn't. Actually, I didn't say anything. I made her do all the work because that's the kind of man that my mother likes. And sure enough, before long, she mentioned that she was super hungry. So I let her take me to Caraba's Italian Trattoria. And bear with me because I kind of come off as an asshole in this story. But again, it's for her benefit. You know, my mommy's benefit. So we're at Caraba's Italian Trattoria. And we're ordering drinks. And my mom... <laughs> so funny. She orders a prickly pear margarita. Of course, I know that taste is subjective, and usually I would leave well enough alone. But again, I know my mother, so I say, are you really going to order a margarita at an Italian trattoria? And she laughed nervously because I'd made her self-conscious. And I felt self-conscious about making her feel self-conscious, because that's not how my mother raised me. My brother's that way, but for me, it, it, it had to be a performance. And I said, let the chef pick a bottle of wine and bring one of your finest prickly pears. Waiter comes back with a bottle of Pinot and this cocktail that is chemical purple. I could have put that thing right on the sidewalk and it wouldn't have evaporated by the time I was born. Mom's sipping it. She says, you were right not to get this drink. I blow it off. Uh-huh. 
she performs her exasperation to me, saying, Yep, I guess I'm pretty stupid. This just wasn't what I expected it would be. And with this statement, she was pointedly describing both the prickly pear margarita and our first date. So finally, at what seems like the point of no return, I bounce the ball back and give her a taste of the charming guy who I really am, saying, you know, I think that margarita is an entirely new shade of purple. She doesn't mean to laugh, she's a comedian. Laughter is precious currency in her world. And she's just resolved to pay me no mind. But laughter is also involuntary. And my joke catches her off guard. And she chuckles, saying, I think they call that neon. It's a little bright for neon, I say. If you say so, she says, drained by my prodding. I do, I say. I do say so, and I'm kind of a neon expert. Huh? Says my mother. I tell her, uh, my mother crafted neon signs for a living. Really? No. And she laughed. Maybe... what? Oh, nothing. I was just going to make a joke. Well, go on. I just did. I was gonna say, uh, maybe that's just what color pears are in Italy. And I laugh. I've laughed at a lot of my mother's jokes since I came to the 1980s, but this time, it's involuntary. My cheeks were glowing brighter than my mother's disgusting drink. And seeing as she was on a roll, my mother kept going. She said, uh, I mean, we don't know. I've never been there, have you? And uh, I said, well, now we have to go. Everyone will have to go. They'll make a fortune in tourism. With how bright this thing is, they'll save a fortune on electricity. Picture it, the sun goes down and every kitchen in Rome glows purple. That's a pretty thought, I said. A whole city the color of your eyes. And this made her face turn bright red because my mother always liked to brag that her eyes were deep purple because it made her feel special to imagine that her eyes weren't dark brown like the rest of ours, you know, every all the boys in my family. In any case, that spot of flattery hit the magic button which let me into her apartment. And as I brushed her dirty dishes onto the floor and hoisted her onto the countertop, her kitchen glowed. Her lips were purple as she brought me inside of them. I could see the lights of Roma in her eyes. And when it was over, I promised again that I would take her there and everywhere else that I went for the rest of my life. But this time, neither of us laughed. She knew I wasn't joking. And for a while, I took that promise very seriously. You know, we did everything together. I took her everywhere. Or rather, she took me. It was the 1980s. I didn't know anyone except for Val Kilmer and my mommy. So she took me to meet her friends. She took me to her friends' houses, you know, her comedy shows, her comedy shows at her friends' houses. She even worked a bit about the prickly pear into a routine. Bombed. It did not translate. You had to be there. And she changed it. She made it into this weird political thing where it was like Mussolini and Hitler leaving a pile of neon purple prickly pears at the city gates, turning it into a sniper's paradise when the sun fell, unloading round after round in the purple tummies of the allies. I had a nightmare after. And when I woke in bed, she chided me saying, you know, I thought you were a real tough guy when we met, maybe even too tough, maybe an asshole. I laughed. She didn't. She said, I can't believe you gave me such a hard time about ordering a margarita at an Italian trattoria. And I laughed it off, saying, that's all behind us now. But she wouldn't leave it behind us. In fact, she insisted on rubbing it in my face over and over. I mean, what were you thinking? She said, you really hurt my feelings. I said, let it go. 
It's in the past. The past is an illusion. But she jabbed me hard in the ribs and said, There! Now that's in the past. Was that an illusion? When she hit me, suddenly I was transported to my childhood. Not literally, emotionally. I remembered a disagreement I had gotten into with my mother while we were both in the bathroom. It wasn't sexual or anything. I was only 13 at the time. I couldn't even remember what made her angry, but there I was, trapped in her anger all over again. She raised her hand and meant to strike me with it, and that was par for the course in those days. Unremarkable. What set this day apart was that for the first time, was that for the first time I stopped her. I grabbed her arm in midair, felt the tension of her full strength as she tried to pull her hand away from me to bring it down on me again, but I held it. And I remember thinking, I'm too old now. I'm too strong now. My mother will never hit me again. But then, of course, there I was in the past, my ribs sore, my mother in bed beside me. And for the first time in my life, I understood why Marty McFly wanted to go back to the future. So I told her everything. I just came clean that I was from the future, that I was her son, that our child was my brother Chuck, of course she wept, but what surprised me was when she told me that she didn't care, that she was happy to have a son who loved her so much that he went back to the future for her, that she wouldn't change any part of our life. I said, not even if you had a time machine, but it wasn't funny and it didn't work out with us. I went back to acting. I played a little over 30 roles in my career before I retired. Mostly cheap science fiction, which rotted my brain, you know? The six million dollar man, the bionic woman. My mother never went back to comedy. In fact, I don't remember her laughing at all during my childhood. She got into poetry, wrote a few books. I bought them all, even though I find confessional poetry to be very embarrassing. I could never tell you if a poem was good or bad, but a piece of hers does make me cry. It goes like this. I saw you in another place, with your eyes in another face. I grabbed that face and brought it south to the jagged place where we fought in youth. I raced to that place from that December, which was almost erased, which I hardly remember. In fact, I can't remember. I couldn't find that place, so I grabbed that face and defaced it. The dedication read to my son, the love of my life. It's about my older brother, our son. He's the love of my life too, even though he can be difficult. You know, once I was watching Game of Thrones with my mom in my childhood, you know, my past, and Cersei Lannister told Sansa Stark that you'd never love anything the way that you love your first child. And my mother turned to me and she said, that's true. I laughed, but it hurt my feelings at the time, you know? I understand it now, of course. And I sort of did then. I can't remember when I first read that. Her poems, not Game of Thrones. I will never read that. It's 6,000 pages about pretend politics and the importance of dragons. But my mother's book, that I read, and that I'll never forget. That was a book about people who I loved and was incapable of loving. Every time I read it, I throw that book right in the trash after. I don't even let it sit in the can. I go straight to the dumpster and toss it into the past. And in doing so, I make it unreal. But in my old age, I've started to have trouble separating the past from the present. And I find myself reading that damned book over and over again. Perhaps the present is made up too. Then perhaps, if you've lived in the past for as long as I have, it isn't your past at all. 
That's another idea that I can't get out of my head, no matter how hard I've tried. But there's one thing I know, and that's that the future is real. It's not a suggestion. It is on its way. And run as you might, it will get back to you. I have thrown out my mother's poems a hundred times, but they're never farther than three inches from my face, unless they're slipping out of my sweating palms. Once I threw that book into the dumpster and found myself staring down at an old trash can, the metal kind that we used to have as kids, I looked up and saw my childhood home exactly as I remembered it. I looked in all the windows. My mother's room was just as I'd left it. My brother's room was empty because I couldn't remember what it looked like. But the bathroom was occupied by me as a teenager. I was pissing in the toilet with my 13-year-old dick when my mother stumbled in. I'd left the door open. I'd left the door open. Whenever I left the door open, my mother would say, what, do you grow up in a barn? And that used to confuse me because no, I obviously grew up in my mother's house. But today she didn't say that. She said, I need the toilet because she was hungover. My mother liked her drink. I turned and fired my stream into the shower. I tried to be amenable to my mother. You know, I felt bad for her because she never laughed. This toilet is so bright, she said, her head hanging into the toilet bowl, which was not bright at all. Except for the gold of my piss, which she hadn't bothered to flush, the toilet was a distinctly unremarkable shade of white. The average toilet has a shiny finish to it, you know, like the teeth and a smile. It almost glistens so that when you walk past it, you can ignore the fact that there's a hole in your house for shit and piss and ejaculate once the kids get older. But nothing in our house glistened. The toilet was plastered. There was a, an uncanny dryness to it. It was like a clean bone, but nothing in our house was clean. Still, Mommy raised a good sport, so I went along. Yeah, the toilet's really bright, I said, shaking my little penis into the shower. It's like neon white. And as the words fell out of me like urine into that tub, Mother swung into a rage as I watched from the window, both a man alone wandering and the boy in the bathroom, wondering what made Mama so mad. Was it something I'd said? Or was it the toilet? And I was a man outside, and my mother's poems slipped from my hands as she raised her hand to strike me, which was not uncommon in those days. And I watched myself become strong for the first time, grabbing her arm, and I felt the tension hanging so thick in the air that the room began to glow. I clutched my mother's poems, and I thought to myself, man, if only someone had taken her to Rome.